You guys are awesome. I don't know about you, but it feels good to praise, doesn't it? That was a lot of uh, vertical worship. Everything pointed upward, not pointed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression about horizontal worship or vertical worship. Horizontal worship is a lot of times about me. God, you do this in me. You've done this in me. I need you. I want you. And that's good. But vertical worship is what's going on around the throne. No one around the throne is talking about me and I. It's all talking about him and how great he is. And that's what praising does is uh, gets your focus directly on him. So, you know, it's good. It's, it's okay. God has certainly given us an avenue to be able to share uh, what's going on with me. He wants me to tell him what's going on. Joseph is vocal tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, but God's given us that platform to be able to say what's going on with you, what's going on with me. Um, but he's also given us the platform to say what's going on with him. And it's important that we don't just focus on us. Uh, really, your breakthrough will come when you focus on him. That's what's going to, that's what hopefully you're going to see tonight. Uh, it's kind of funny, our timing. We didn't do this on purpose. I think God just does it right after this uh, big fight that happened Saturday night. Uh, Mayweather and Wakio, Makio, Pacquio, somebody. <laughs> uh, thank you, Quentin. Um, I also want to ask you, as you've got your prayer list, um, Zach, can you bring me a prayer list? Do you mind to do that? Something that's not on the prayer list that's coming up uh, in the next month is deacon nominations. And I would like you guys all to commit to praying for our deacon nominations. Very important. As we're talking about pride and humility, um, we're going to see a lot... Uh, this is going to play in part here, but we need to be praying for the leadership. We need to be praying for our president and our new president that's, uh, you know, they're starting to talk about presidential nominations and that sort of thing. Um, we need to be praying for all of our authorities. Those, uh, you need to be praying for me and my staff. You need to be praying for your boss. Um, but we need to be praying for our deacon nominations. That's going to be coming up in the next few weeks. So can I ask y'all, y'all are really the core, the, the, the core prayers, the core worshipers, those that are really here each week, can you commit to praying for the next few weeks over our deacon nominations? Amen? Amen. Prayer team, I know a lot of y'all are out there. That's what our focus needs to be this, this next couple weeks, as well as all the other stuff. All right. Pride and humility. Pride and humility. It's funny, uh, Zach helps me so much on the artwork and he put the fight of the ages. What's so funny is this fight has gone on for all eternity. It spans the whole universe from eternity through time and back to eternity again. It goes all the way from heaven to earth all the way into hell. Not one area is missed when it comes to this issue. Now, we just went through those 12 steps and I just encourage you. Don't move on from that. Go back to that. Chew back on that. 
uh, hopefully you got some good nuggets to be able to, to walk through. But with this pride versus humility, this is not for informational purposes. This is for application purposes, for you individually to apply. So what, God, what do you have for me individually tonight? Amen? Man, are y'all here? Not here to warm up you. Not here for entertainment. We're here to be changed and to hear from the very throne of God. I am here to, he I am here to hear from the throne of God. I believe that last part that, uh, that Zach was singing, that was a prophetic, spontaneous song. A lot of times I'm waiting for that. I loved the things we did. I loved that new song that we did last about the, the, the breath that he gave us. We're going to praise. But whenever the spontaneity starts, like with Tabitha or with Zach or with Weaver or Quentin or whomever, we've got so many not only talented musicians but uh, prophetic and spontaneous musicians that hear God, that are in the word. Uh, Wayne Howell, without a doubt, uh, flows in the spontaneity and in the prophetic. And listen. That's what I'm here to hear. I'm here to hear the manifest word of God. I need that, that charge um, to go on, to, to maybe, to maybe uh, be able to face the day and face the challenges that are in front of me. So as we start this series, and it's going to be about six weeks or so, we need to apply this to us. The only way you can apply it to, church, to the church is by applying, applying it to you. It's the only way. If you don't apply it to you, the church missed it. It's not just something to hear and to enjoy. It's not a fiction book just to enjoy reading. This is truth. If you will allow the word of God to take heart and to take root in your life, it will change your life. So as I start, here we go. This covers everything. It is so vast, this struggle between pride and humility. But it so applies to our personal lives today. And it's stated in this universal law in Matthew chapter 23 verse 12. It says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now uh, also prayers, be praying that these birds don't get back in here. We fight this every single year. And we've not had it for a couple years. But just pray that the holes be closed and let me tell you, in your own life, pray that those open areas that the enemy can sneak in gets closed. That, that, that you can identify it or that someone around you can speak truth into your life. That's what I'm hoping as we crack open the word of God. I'm not only wanting him to bless me, I'm wanting him to plug up the holes. Go ahead and defeat my enemy when I show up. Let him go ahead and be dead there. But also, if I've got a crack in the foundation, fill it. Show me where it's cracked. So be praying against the birds. All right. Um, so as we look at this pride, the history of pride through the universe, I'm, we're going to look at five stages, five main stages of pride and humility. Stage one, it is the first sin of pride. And literally, this is the first sin committed in the universe was the sin of pride. And it wasn't a sin of man. It was a sin of an angel in heaven, committed in heaven, not on earth. And the name of that angel was Lucifer. And do you know he was the bright and shining and glorious one? 
He was something to have seen, something to behold, beautiful. But because of his sin of pride, and then what followed was rebellion, he was cast out of God's presence. And it was at that point that his name was changed to Satan, the adversary, the resistor. So stage one, the first sin of pride. Step two was creation. God responded to this first sin of pride by making a creature named Adam. And I don't know if you've ever looked up the word Adam uh, in the Hebrew, but it means man, first man. God stooped down right into the dust to make this creature. And he wanted to eliminate any basis for pride from man and from all of creation. He stooped down to earth and made man out of dust. If we could somehow, we don't want to lose our self-worth, but we need to grasp where we really are in comparison with God. We are mere dust. We're not worthless. But we are definitely not on the same level. Okay? That's all we're trying to say here. Stage three, next came, was the fall. Unfortunately, man was enticed by Satan, the adversary. And what was interesting is the first thing Satan did was tempt him in the way that he previously had sinned. Satan went and got Adam the same way that he was cast out. It was pride. So, just like, let's go back to the first scripture we talked about. God uh, resists the proud but uh, exalts the humble. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Remember, Satan exalted himself. God humbled him. Man exalted himself in disobedience to God and listening to Satan, which in turn came the fall. The fall of man. Do you see? This progression of pride to fall. The fourth stage was incarnation. God had a plan of redemption for fallen man. And this plan stooped even lower. In Christ, Christ came to the very level of fallen man. He did not come to the level of Adam before he sinned. Adam was at a different level. Right? He and God were not blocked. But Jesus came not to the level of Adam, but to the level of sinful Adam. Jesus came even lower uh, in Christ, he stooped to the very level of, human, of humanity, fallen humanity, and he became one with the human race in order to lift man up again from the fallen condition to a place of fellowship with God. He came down to where we are in order to bring us back up. And then finally, stage five is redemption. God made it so that these redeemed creatures the redeemed members of Adam's race would rule with him through all eternity. And that would be a demonstration to the universe that God reserves the highest place for the lowest. It also says that God is in charge and he does what he wants. And if he wants to use man, 
he will. And nothing can stop it. So running through the entire record of God's dealings with his creatures, we see this principle that God exalts the lowly and abases or pushes down the proud. The one who exalts himself will go down, but the one who humbles himself will go up. You know, I've got to stop because... Many of you are facing something right now that if you would just humble yourself, God would rescue you. But unfortunately, we, we stand in a society where we have to be right. And we argue and argue and argue. And I had a situation the other night with my child and, you know, it was a funny situation. Um, it wasn't completely out of order-ish. But me and this child are very similar. We just won't back down. And this child just was determined to get the last word. And finally, I thought, this is the dumbest conversation. Because if I just beeped, just boop, she'd do something. She, she would do something. So we know it's a girl. If you know my kids, you know who it is. But eventually, I just said, I'm done. She said, good, got that last word. I'm not kidding, and Elizabeth's sitting there, and all of a sudden, we just had a teachable moment to say, having to be right is immature. Having to have the last word is immature, and at what point will you stop? Now, I was playing along with it until finally I decided, this is stupid, I'm going to stop. Um, but how do you get that through to someone who knows they're right? Sometimes proving you being right, you lose the war. You break a relationship. And that's what ultimately happened between man and God. Is Adam listened to the wrong voice. He knew what was right, but was told he could know everything and that God was trying to hold back from him. The nature of this sin that Adam did enticed by Satan was actually Satan's own sin and it led to rebellion toward God now in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 Satan presented this ultimate ultimate temptation to Adam and Eve and ultimately it was to disobey God and to eat the eat the fruit of the tree that God told him not to do God gave them all this space to run in and said just don't do this one thing and what do we do? Why? Well, I want to now. I didn't even know that tree existed. Where is it? Ooh, it does look good. And when a snake comes and talks to you, something's, something's wrong. God's been talking to me and he said this, but now this snake's come up and told me this. Look at what he says. Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he saying? He's saying God's holding back from you. God doesn't want you to have this great thing because it's what he's got. And he doesn't want you to have it. You know, it's the exact same thing 
that Satan did. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, he says, I will make myself like the most high. Satan wanted an equal playing field with God. And that's the, that's the apple that was dangled in front of Adam. This will make you like God. Satan's temptation to Adam was if you will eat this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, equal to God. The same motivation producing the same disastrous consequence that led to the fall. But what is this nature of pride? It's probably the most important part of this entire series. What is the nature of pride? It is seeking to be independent of God. Seeking to be independent of God. What does that basically say? I don't need you. Now we would never say that that way. But when we have challenges in front of us and we hold that weight completely on our shoulder, God being completely absent, that's what we're saying. God, I don't need you. I've got this. Now, there are some times when I don't have to pray about brushing my teeth. I don't have to pray, God, help me brush my teeth. Make sure I get the toothpaste on the toothbrush good, and then I get enough water, and then I do a good job. However, I do want to do a good job on my teeth and not suffer the consequences from even that. But I think, I think what we do, I think a way to apply this is take the big stuff and apply God, get God involved in your big stuff and then start going down the line until you've got him in everything. A lot of times, just our challenges, if you'll just get God involved in your challenges, then realize we can have God in our other stuff too. Um, then I realize I can apply God to my prayers for my family. And in everything that they're doing. But what's important is, is that we start to bring God back into the picture. I, do, I, don't want to, I don't want it to ever be said that I don't need God. And I can tell you, as I continuously refer back to you, to you guys, to, to the challenges that we had a few years ago, it was this. It was me not feeling like I needed help. It was me feeling like I didn't need help. And I wouldn't have told you that. I, I didn't know that was happening in me, but it was the way I was living. I didn't need help from my wife. I didn't need help from my board. I didn't need help from anyone. And uh, that was pride. And all that did was remove me, push me further and further away from God until literally I hit the bottom. Now, was that the Lord lowering the proud? Yeah, I think it was. In order for me to hit some level that I would say, wait, this isn't the promise that God, this isn't God's promise for me. God, what are you doing? Paul, what are you doing? Let me just ask you the question. What are you doing? Well, I'm asking you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, thanks for asking. Finally, you get down far enough, eventually you're going to look up. What are you doing? Where am I in your life? 
Well, you're there. Yeah, I don't want to be there. I want to be here. I don't want to be there. I want to be here. I want to be with you. That's what pride did in my heart. But praise God, it's like the moment I turn, he's there. The moment I call for him, he's there. Pride is seeking to be independent of God. Never was Adam, even Satan, denying the sovereignty of God. Do you hear me? He just wanted to be like him. He didn't want God to be over him. It was a personal decision by Adam and Eve that they could do without God. They didn't need God. If they could acquire the knowledge of good and evil, then they would no longer need to depend on God. Satan in his temptation implied that Adam and Eve were in a position of slavish dependence on God in a position not worthy of their potential. Satan saying, you're better than this. You're better than that to have to rely on God for everything that you do. You don't have to rely on God. You can get through that. You can do this on your own. According to Satan, they could be much better off without depending on God. So the essence of the temptation is again summed up into one word, independence. It's the desire to be independent of God. That's pride. And it is satanic pride. A life not lived out in willing dependence on God is motivated by pride. And you know, this is such a subtle deception. So many people don't consider themselves prideful, but they're living their life not dependent on God at all. And the motivation behind that is pride. And what comes, what follows pride is rebellion and disaster. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to see a parable of a man. And I don't know that you've ever looked at it from this perspective. I hope, I hope to give you some new perspective. A man who is guilty of this kind of wrong attitude toward God. It was basically being independent. And unless we are aware of the nature of pride as we read this story, we can easily mistake we can easily miss the mistake that this rich man made. Let's look, look at it. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It says, And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have you ever heard people in today's world speak like that? It is really um, a common attitude with, with people today. But if we continue on to verse 20, look what, look what Jesus says. Uh, we're still in the parable. But God said to him, you fool... This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Now verse 21. Here comes the commentary of Jesus. He says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
our stuff can burn up overnight. But, this, but the treasures that we store up in heaven will never tarnish. They will never be in threat. Never. Nothing can affect those. But your natural, your secular, your other stuff that you're putting all your faith in can be gone in a moment. But God doesn't want you to lose that either. He wants to exalt you in all things. But when we remove God from our source and we place something else in place of it, God says, this has to happen. I will be first. I will be first. God is a jealous God. And he desires to be first in your life. Do you see that, that source of pride here in Luke 12? God called that man a fool. But he did what millions of people today in our civilization do. He, they take care of themselves. And you know what? In a certain sense, he was prudent. He was a good businessman. He could bring forth a good harvest from his field. And he knew that he needed to make bigger storehouses. And he was capable of building them. So many times we can look at this and think, man, that guy's a respectable, sensible guy. Unfortunately, that can be a churchgoer. That can be a professing Christian right here in the church. What's the problem? Why was he a fool? What was the essence of his sin? He acted as if he were independent of God. I'm going to take it easy. I don't need anything. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Independent of God. He did not acknowledge the fact that he depended on God for even the breath that he breathed. That he depended on God for his seed to mature and to bring forth a harvest. That he depended upon God for health and strength. I believe that if this man had just gotten on his knees and given thanks for that harvest, God would have increased his harvest. Instead, he stored it up and talked about how he's just going to live on that. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. You got to be careful when you get a new job or when you get a raise that we don't remove God from the problem because a raise means we can kind of lighten up a little bit with our budget. Don't lighten up. Give thanks. Be faithful. Do the right thing. Don't go blow your tax check on something stupid. Pay your debt down and praise God that you did. Give thanks as you're going to pay that debt down. We're kind of past the tax check. I think a lot of people have already gotten their tax check. Did you blow it? I got a story there too, but I'm not going to share it. I'll get in trouble for that one. For everything in his life, he was ultimate, ultimately dependent. We should be ultimately dependent on God. But he failed to acknowledge his dependence on God. That is the root attitude of pride, independent of God. James chapter 4, as we diagnose this problem, and I'm almost done. James chapter 4, verse 13. New Testament gives us a good diagnosis of pride. It says, now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we will go through this or that, 
we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. You know, I didn't mean for this to be a complete downer sermon. I don't like downers. I like uppers. Um, <laughs> I do. I'm not talking about the drug. Uh, but you know what? Identifying a problem should be an upper. It may take, you may, may get a couple bruises, but you're going to come out on top. If you don't, if you don't get the truth, you're going to stay right where you are and question God. God, why is this going on? You know, if you would just question him, he'll tell you. It's all you got to do is ask him. It's all you got to do is go look. And he'll show you. But this boastfulness we just read in James is pride. The desire to be independent of God. To act as though there is no real authority over our life. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 sums it up. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Paul basically tells us we can boast about one thing. It's God. And what he's done in your life. And where you've come from. And where you are. And where you're going. That's what we can boast in. Not that I made a great business decision. Nobody wants to hear that anyway. Not that I did something great with whatever. Hit a hole in one. I mean, it is fun to just talk about. It's okay. I'm not talking about. Do you hear me? We, we need to celebrate certain things. But when, when that's all we talk about. The only thing we, have, we, ha we should be only talking about is the Lord. You know, we're going to get around the water cooler and talk about stuff. That's okay. But where is your heart? Is your heart on the golf course or is your heart with Jesus Christ? Is your heart with your business? Is your heart with your ego? Or is your heart with the Lord? Amen? That's where we're going to be for the next few weeks. And I'm telling you, it's life-changing. If we can win the war against pride and let humility take its place, what, what's awesome is your boss may not exalt you, but God will. And what will happen is God will work through that boss that won't exalt you or he'll move you somewhere to where you can be exalted. Your marriage will be exalted. You won't have a lowly marriage. You'll have a great marriage. You want to see a great husband, find a humble husband with his wife. A great wife, see a humble wife with her husband. 
That doesn't mean to, to bow down and be beaten verbally or physically. You know, God's called us to be strong people, but the strongest people are humble people. It's harder to be humble than it is to be right. It's harder to be humble. Amen. Y'all stand up with me.